Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Well, as we remain standing, let me pray for us now. Now, Father, we've been uh, singing it. We want to pray it from the bottom of our hearts that we indeed would recognise and see how great you are, that we would see how great you are in the words of uh, Isaiah 33, and that we would indeed then want to proclaim the greatness of our God to all around. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please do sit down. Well, let me encourage you, uh, if I may, to uh, turn to Isaiah chapter 33, page 717 is the page number uh, in the church Bibles. Uh, If you are here for the first time uh, or the first time in a long time, uh, you won't especially know that we've been looking through this section of Isaiah Uh, from chapter 28 through to 39, and uh, we've reached chapter 33 this week. I was uh, 20 when I became a Christian, and um, there are a number of reasons why I I did. Uh, But one reason was that I feared death. I I can remember as a teenager talking to a friend of mine about the the prospect of of kind of nothingness. I couldn't um, get into my mind that I would die one day and then that would be it. Uh, I mustn't give you the wrong impression. I I wasn't moping around all day, every day, with dark thoughts filling my every waking hour. I enjoyed life. Uh, I was uh, doing a lot of sport. I enjoyed my job. As a 20-year-old, death seemed many, many years away. But still it was there, hanging over me. I knew that one day I would die. So when I heard about Jesus Christ himself dying to take the punishment for my sins, which I thought was brilliant news because I realised that I was far from perfect, and then that he also rose from the dead, demonstrated that he had defeated death and could get me through my, my death too, well, then it seemed to me the most sensible thing to do was to become a Christian. Since then, and because I now do this job, I found myself dealing with death far more than I ever dreamed I would do talking with people who are facing death, sitting at bedsides as people die, walking with people through bereavement. Uh, Through those experiences, I've found that most people are troubled by death. Of course, I've met people who tell me that they're not frightened of death. I don't uh, question that they're not frightened of death. But even they do fear death, maybe not their own, but they fear the death of a loved one and the overwhelming, heartbreaking agony that that brings. Now, look, it is death and the fear of death and pain that drives us to look for security in this life. Because there are many dangers in this life, we want to do all we can to protect ourselves, to be as comfortable as, comfortable as we can now and in the future, uh, to guard against difficulties that may come our way. Now, it was death and the fear of death that hung over the nation of Judah as Isaiah wrote to them in the 7th century BC. Uh, You'll remember, if you've been here over these last weeks, the mighty Assyrian army, the world's superpower, the the conquerors of all before them were camped on Judah's borders and about to strike. Uh, Back in Isaiah chapter 7, Isaiah describes the nation, uh, chapter 9, Isaiah describes the nation as a land under the shadow of death. 
And while the Lord said to those people, trust me and I will deliver you, that really didn't seem enough for them. And so as we've seen over these last weeks, Judah made a military alliance with Egypt to try and protect them from death. Now, in the same way as believers, we wonder if the Lord's promise is enough for us too. We want a little more security than just trust the Lord. So we've been thinking over these last weeks how we put a little bit of money in the bank to rescue us, a little nest egg for when the storms of life hit, some savings for a rainy day. It seems the smart thing to do. Uh, Yes, we, we trust the Lord, but we need something else as well, don't we? But of course, it is foolish to think that our savings are going to help us when the rainy day of death comes. Honestly, when death comes, having savings in the bank is like putting an umbrella up in a tsunami. And that's why Judah's actions in turning to Egypt for protection from the Assyrians was so foolish. They had turned from the one who could save them from destruction, the Lord himself, And they trusted themselves to another who could not stand the force of the Assyrians. And that is why chapter 33 is so important. Through the prophet Isaiah, the Lord said, you see it there, chapter 33, verse 1. Woe to you, O destroyer, you who have not been destroyed. The destroyer is Assyria. That's what they did, destroy. They destroyed everything in their path. Indeed, Assyria took great pride in the belief that she could destroy anyone she wanted. And humanly speaking, Assyria was unstoppable and unbeatable. They were a mighty enemy and they were simply too strong for all the nations around them. They had crushed Syria and Israel and they would be too powerful for Judah and for Egypt as well. Just as death is too strong for us. Just as death destroys everything in its path. We can't stand against it no matter where we turn. Despite all the advances we've made, medicine and all the scientific discoveries of these last decades cannot defeat death. Sometimes we can hold it off for a while, but it always wins in the end. Money in the bank doesn't defeat death. Sometimes it can buy us some time. Sometimes it can make us a little more comfortable, but it cannot defeat death. Death always wins. The destroyer destroys it destroys life it destroys hope it destroys precious loving relationships so what a brilliant thing to read here in verse one woe to you O destroyer now by now those of you who've been coming here these last weeks will know the significance of the word woe it was a word of lament it was a funeral cry uh, when you heard the word woe it spelt death and so here is the lord saying isn't this amazing death to death is, of course, what Jesus says. He has defeated death. He says, woe to you, O destroyer. In Christ we see the death of death. That's the great message of Isaiah chapter 33 for the people of God. And it is so significant here because it is written not primarily to Assyria. It wasn't, you see, as if um, Isaiah marched into Nineveh, the, the capital city of Assyria, and like a town crier shouted to the people and the officials and the king of, of Assyria, woe to you. No, no, this was declared to Judah. Judah, the little vulnerable nation that was the people of God, terrified, understandably terrified Judah. Judah, who had walked away from the Holy One of Israel and who'd looked to Egypt to protect them from the mighty Assyria. Isaiah spoke the message to them. 
And so as we've seen before, once again, this is a message of remarkable grace and kindness. The Lord says to his people, a people who have completely shunned him, the Lord says, look, your greatest fear, your greatest enemy, the reason you've turned from me and to Egypt, uh, your greatest fear, the Assyrians, I am going to destroy. So come back to me. That's the point of this woe. This is a call to all those who've turned away from the Lord and turned to something else to find security and peace and rest. The Lord says, come back to me. The very thing you are so fearful of, he says, I am going to destroy. So return to me and you will have the security, peace and rest that you so want. And so as he hears that glorious message in verse two, Isaiah says, oh Lord, be gracious to us. You see, in returning to the Lord, we need to appeal to his grace. Be gracious to us. Uh, by rights, he should cast us off. He should destroy us. It should be, woe to me. For in turning to these other things for security, we have turned away from him. But the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. And so we can pray, verse 2, O Lord, be gracious to us. We long for you. That's a great prayer, a prayer that our longing would be for the Lord and him alone. And see how it continues in verse 2. Be our strength every morning, our salvation in times of distress. Isn't that wonderful? This is what it means to return to the Lord. Every morning I'm going to look to the Lord to find my strength, my security, my rest, my peace. And every time I feel distressed, any kind of distress, but not least of all that distress of death hanging over me, I look to him for salvation. And we can do that because, verse 3, at the thunder of your voice, the peoples flee. When you rise up, the nations scatter. They were fearful of the mighty Assyrians. When he speaks, the nations scatter. No nation on earth can stand against the Lord. Assyria couldn't stand against the Lord. The destroyer cannot stand against the Lord. It's exactly what we saw on Easter Sunday morning. The great destroyer death doesn't destroy the Lord. No. Verse 5 the Lord is exalted. He dwells on high. He will fill Zion with justice and righteousness. He will be the sure foundation for your times, a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. I don't know whether you're into learning verses or underlining verses in your Bible. Verses five and six are ones to underline. See, this is what I need, isn't it? Verse six, a sure foundation on which to build my life. That's what it means to trust the Lord. It means to build your life on, to make every decision on the Lord. To believe that going his way, having him as your foundation is the very best thing. And he says here, live like that and you have built your life on sure foundations. Your life will never be toppled, not even when death comes. Now look, please don't misunderstand this. This could sound so unrealistic. Of course, when death comes, it hurts. Uh, one of those strange coincidences for me today that um, it was uh, four years ago, uh, the World Cup was happening. It happened to be Father's Day the next day. And on the Saturday night, as we were turning into Sunday, I got a phone call in the middle of the night to say that my dad had died suddenly. It is three years ago next month since my mum died of cancer. I, I still miss them terribly. 
I know uh, in this congregation there are people who still miss their loved ones. For some, it is very raw. It is agony. But I can say that when the destroyer came knocking at my door twice in 13 months, because, verse 6, the Lord was the sure foundation of life, while I was shaken, my life did not come crashing down. That's the point here. And it all comes from believing believing the first line of verse 5. The Lord is exalted. He dwells on high. There is no one higher than him. He rules the whole universe. So who better to turn to? Who better to trust? We've sung great songs this morning declaring to one another how great our God is. And we sing them, well, we sing them to praise our God, but we also sing them to encourage one another, to spur each other on, to keep building our lives on the sure foundation that is the Lord, as it says here in verse 6. Because, you see at the end of verse 6, that is the key to a secure life. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure, the key to the treasure of verse 6, a, a sure store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. Fear the Lord. Judah feared Assyria. We uh, fear death and all the uncertainties of life that so worry us. We, and that's why we put money in the bank and invest in real estate and, and health insurance. We fear what might come. And in making those investments, we try to make provision for the future. But that is not the key to feeling secure. No. Verse 6, the key is to fear the Lord rather than death. Now, I think it was about 12 years ago when I really understood what it means to fear the Lord. Uh, it's uh, kind of sad, really, to think that I'd uh, been through theological college and been ordained for some time, but it was only 12 years ago when I finally understood this, as it comes so often in the Bible. And it's uh, kind of sad the way it happened as well, except it's quite funny. It's when our, twer- uh, our twin girls were just toddlers. I used to play with them, a game we called Lions. They'd run into another room of the house. I'd get on all fours and go and find them and then roar like a lion. And when I got into that room and and roared, they'd run into another room giggling and I'd follow them roaring like a lion. And on one occasion, we were playing lions and they said to me, louder, Daddy, louder. So as I padded into the other room, roar! Giggles from the girls running into another room, louder, Daddy, louder, roar! They ran past me into another room, laughing and giggling. Louder, Daddy, do it louder. So I stood up, ran into the room and let out the loudest roar I could. Roar! And they burst into tears (laughs) and ran to me and held on to my legs. And suddenly I understood what it was to fear the Lord. At that moment, they were terrified of me. They knew they couldn't escape me. There was nowhere to run. They were in a corner. I had them cornered. I was bigger than them and terrifying to them, and they couldn't escape, but they knew I was their daddy and that I wouldn't hurt them and, indeed, that I'd protect them. And so instinctively, frightened as they were, they ran to me. That's what it means to fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord means to know that he is more powerful than any other, more powerful than death, but he is also, verse 2, gracious. And so end of verse 6, the fear of the Lord is the key to the treasure of life. As I fear him, I run to him, and that is where I find this treasure of peace and rest and security, because he has defeated death. 
So this woe is a call to return to the one who is more powerful than our greatest enemy, death itself. And in the rest of the chapter, we see uh, two things. At the point that we have to be brought to, to turn to the Lord. And then that's verses 7 to 16. And then the treasure we will have when we turn to the Lord in verses 17 to 24. Firstly, the point that we need to be brought to, to turn to the Lord. See, in verses 7 to 9, we, we have a picture painted of a situation where all hope is lost the kind of situation that Judah would soon find themselves in. Not the kind of situation they they were in at the time. Remember, they in chapter 32, they've just turned to Egypt, though they feel secure in Egypt. But it wouldn't be long before they realised that that was never going to deliver for them. It wouldn't be long before they felt very insecure as it was just them versus the Assyrians. And so do you see in verse 7, the heroes of the nation, the brave men are crying in the streets. It's hard to see a grown man cry. It is devastating to see a brave, mighty warrior cry. For when brave men cry, all hope is lost. And with them crying, verse 7, the diplomats, the, the envoys of peace are weeping. And you see in verse 7, Isaiah points Judah to a day when all their military strength, their brave men, and all their diplomatic efforts, their envoys of peace, all their efforts in negotiating with Egypt will have failed. So despite all their best efforts, they'll be at the mercy of the Assyrians. So bad will it be that, verse 9, everyone mourns, the whole land mourns. No hope left. Isaiah describes in these verses then a moment of complete hopelessness And it is in that moment when we have exhausted all our efforts that we finally recognise our need for the Lord. Here's why people often become Christians when they are at rock bottom. Now those who aren't Christians cynically say that Christianity is for the weak, for people who can't cope with life. Well, if that's how you want to put it, yes. But I think it's more reasonable to say that most of us think we can cope and that we have no need for Jesus Christ. But some... Some of us, when we come face to face with our own mortality and see how small we are, and honestly, we are very small, some of us realise that we can't cope because we can't. And then we face up to the fact that we can't defeat death. You might call it weakness, and it is a recognition of our weakness, but I'd rather call it reality. Now, for many, it's only when we're brought to that point of hopelessness when uh, there really is nowhere else to run, then we see ourselves as we really are. That's verses seven to nine. And that is the point, the precise point where Judah would be brought to. And it is then that the Lord acts to bring us to himself. Do you see verse 10? Now will I arise, says the Lord. Now will I be exalted. Now will I be lifted up. Three times, now's the time. God's now follows the hopelessness of verses seven to nine. Uh, Note that the language of verse 10 is very similar to the words of verse five. In verse five, the Lord is exalted, but verse 10, now I will be exalted. In verse five, the Lord dwells on high, and verse 10, now I will be lifted up. Of course, verse five is true all the time. He is those things. Verse 10 is me acknowledging 
those things. And it's when we've hit rock bottom, when we know that we can't defeat the, on, the enemy, when we're on the verge of being defeated, that we acknowledge who the true God is and then we see him act. Of course, he's always acting, always at work, but then we recognise his work. And so as the Lord destroys the destroyer, which is what verses 11 and 12 are about, so verse 13, those who are far away hear what God has done and those who are near acknowledge his power. And that was going to happen when the, the Lord destroyed Assyria and we'll see it happen in chapter 36 and 37 and it was miraculous. When the Lord did that, all the nations around, those who are far away, uh, would be able to uh, uh, see what he has done. They will fear him for what he has done. And those who are near, Judah, would acknowledge what he has done. See, when the Lord acts in that kind of power, and I can't wait till you read it in chapters 36 and 37, when the Lord acts in that kind of that power, defeating the Assyrians, and when for us in Christ he defeated death, well, yes, all nations hear about it, and also it results in us fearing him. Verse 14, the sinners in Zion are terrified, trembling grips the godless, who of us can dwell in the consuming fire? Who of us can dwell with everlasting burning? When you see the Lord work in that kind of power, you ought to be full of fear. It uh, happens when Jesus was on this earth. Uh, one example of him being in the boat with uh, the disciples when the storm whipped up. The storm was raging. They thought they were going to die. He got up and commanded the wind and the waves to be still and quiet and instantly it was stilled. And do you remember the next bit? The disciples were terrified full of fear, face to face with the awesome power of God, we should fear. We've already seen that's a good place to be brought to because end of verse six, the fear of the Lord is the key to the treasure of life. When I fear him, I run to him. When I know that he's more powerful than anyone else and anything else, I'll say verse two, O Lord, be gracious to me. So we have to be brought to that point of hopelessness in order to turn to the Lord and then see, secondly, the treasure we have when we do turn to the Lord, verses 17 to 24. Verse 17, your eyes will see the king in his beauty and view a land that stretches afar. That is the experience of those who come to know Christ. We see how beautiful he is. What a magnificent and wonderful and gracious Lord he is. And we see a land that stretches afar, a beautiful land that we'll enjoy for all eternity. And being in that new heavenly Jerusalem, that the promised new creation, we see all the struggles and problems of this life will melt away. It's verse 18. In your thoughts you'll ponder the former terror. Where's that chief officer? Where is the one who took the revenue? Where is the officer in charge of the towers? You'll see those arrogant people no more. They're gone. All the injustice and oppression, gone. All the unjust, selfish and ruthless regimes, gone. All the arrogant and proud people who walk all over others, all gone. And so all that's left in a life living in the city of God, in the new heavenly Jerusalem, all that's left is a life of festivities and peace and security. And that's verse 20 and 21. Look upon Zion, the city of our festivals. Your eyes will see Jerusalem, a peaceful abode. A tent that will not be moved. Its stakes will never be pulled up. Nor any of its ropes broken. Hear the security. Verse 21. There the Lord will be our mighty one. 
the destruction of the destroyer, the death of death. Knowing this changes everything. Believing this changes the way we live. And not least of all about how we feel about wealth. Let me leave you with this one final thought. I've been struck that through this particular chapter of Isaiah, Isaiah uses the language of material wealth quite a lot. See, so look at verse 23. He speaks about the spoils being divided when he's finally destroyed the Assyrians. He'll uh, divide the spoils. We see the same thing back in verse 4. He talks about the plunder that will be taken from the Assyrians in their defeat. And in verse 6, you see he speaks of a rich store of salvation and the fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. It's all the language of material wealth. And it's important because back in chapter 30 and verse 6, Do you remember as the leaders of Judah made their way to Egypt? We read in chapter 30, verse 6, that they took their riches and their treasure in order to make an alliance with Egypt. They needed that. They took all that they had. Uh, they, They gave all their wealth to try and buy security in Egypt. It was, of course, a reversal of the Exodus. Do you remember When God rescued his people out of Egypt, they took out of Egypt all the riches and treasure from Egypt. And so the point is this. In going back to Egypt, in looking for security from Egypt against the Assyrians, Judah gave back all the treasures they had gained from being God's people. That is exactly what we do when we turn from the Lord and put our trust in another. We forfeit all the treasures we have in Christ when we turn to something else for security and peace and rest. But here in chapter 33, we learn that the Lord will destroy the destroyer. And as we remember that in Christ, death has been defeated, we not only hear that we we shouldn't go to another for security, but we we learn that if we stand firm in Christ, we'll receive all the treasures that the Lord has, plus the plunder and spoils that he will take from defeating the enemy. If we stand firm in Christ, one day in the heavenly new Jerusalem, in the new creation, we'll be given everything this world has. All the things that uh, we look to now and think we'd so love to have that, one day they'll all be ours. We don't need them now. Remember Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. In Christ, we have all the great treasures of verse six, salvation and wisdom and sure foundation on which to build our lives. And in Christ, in the future, we'll inherit all that this earth affords. So you see, I don't need to travel the world now. I don't need to take a gap year or spend my retirement traveling everywhere I've never seen and so wanted to go to. Because in the heavenly new creation, I'll have all eternity to travel the world. And it will be a completely safe experience with no pickpockets and no terrorist threat. And I don't need to have every latest gadget, expensive gadget that looks so much fun that this world affords now. Because in the heavenly new creation, when the destroyer is destroyed, the Lord will give us all the plunder. He'll divide all the spoils. It'll all be ours one day. I'll get it all. I don't need it now. So I don't need to run to the world not only because it can't deliver on the thing I need the most, security and safety in the face of death, 
but also because I'm going to get it every, all one day anyway. So do you see, as we look at Christ and see that he has destroyed the destroyer, as we remember that in Christ there is the death of death, so Isaiah chapter 33 asks us to believe this, to know, verse 5, that the Lord is exalted, he dwells on high, He will fill Zion with justice and righteousness. He will be the sure foundation for your times, a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. We're called to believe that. And we're called on to say, verse 2, O Lord, be gracious to us. We long for you. Be our strength every morning and our salvation in times of distress. And we're called on to believe, verse 22, the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. And it is he who will save us. Let's pray together. We thank you, our Lord and God, for this most magnificent news the wonderful good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that in him death is defeated, the death of death in Christ. And we thank you for the wonderful uh, truth that that is for us in life, uh, knowing that we have total security in Christ. We thank you for the wonderful news that that is in death. And especially as we think of some in this congregation who have faced that and are facing it right now. And so we ask you to help us to believe this, uh, to trust it, uh, and indeed then to have this wonderful treasure in our lives as we fear you, a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. And we ask it through Christ our Lord. Amen.